Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About It with Jackie and Megan. If you are a woman or you know a woman in your life, chances are you know someone who menstruates, which is why today we are talking to Karina Lawler about a theology of menstruation. If this interests you, please continue listening. Karina graduated from Moody Bible Institute with a degree in ministry to women, and she currently works in residential life at Moody. In this episode, she talks about why it's important for women to understand their cycle, what a theology of menstruation looks like, and how a woman's body tells a story, creation, fall, redemption, and future restoration. Thank you so much for listening. Karina, would you just mind telling everyone a little about yourself, who you are, what you do, all of that? Yeah, I'd love to. My name's Karina Lawler. I am a very, very recent wife. I got married March 9, 2020. So it's been like a year and a few days. So congratulations. um, Thank you so much. So if anybody remembers when COVID started, that's when my marriage started. Wow. So (laughs) it's been like, quite the year of change and transition and um, also really huge blessing and super fun to be quarantined with your new spouse too. So yes, um, lots lots of time to learn about each other. (laughs) Yep, totally for sure. So just got married. Um, Lawler's a recent last name for me. So I'm still getting used to saying out out loud, which is really exciting. But I actually graduated from Moody Bible Institute. I got a degree there um, in ministry to women um, and I loved it. It was incredible. I, growing up, always had women mentoring me and just coaching me on life and Christianity and who I am to God and who I can be in the church. And when I got old enough for college, I knew like, yep, that's exactly what I want to do is Mm -hmm. love on women and care for women and encourage them. Um, It's something I'm super passionate about. So I graduated with a ministry to women degree from Moody. um, And even while I was there, I was like, you know, I want to always have a couch where women can just come and weep on my lap and I can just let them know it's okay. Mm. And that they can feel whatever they want to feel, whether it's rejoicing or sorrow. And I'm so thankful, actually, because even in the midst of this crazy, insane year of change, um, Adam and I, my husband, we both lost our jobs early on. um, And it was such a blessing from the Lord because I actually got to come back to Moody and do Res Life here, um, working with women with a couple of RAs, leading them and mentoring them and a couple of small group leaders on campus and just getting to mentor them and train them. And it was such a gift from the Lord just to give back to me exactly what I've always prayed for is to have a place and a space where women can come be themselves, get encouragement, get prayer, um, and weep and rejoice with me. So that's like a little bit about me. And I'm just so thankful because it's just such a beautiful spot that the Lord's brought me to, to get to, um, pour that care and affection, um, into women's lives in the way that I've had that poured into me. So, 
Um, some fun things. I love improv comedy. I used to be <laughs> the president of a Bible college improv team, um, which may not sound extremely hilarious, but I would say it was, <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Um, so I love improv. I am a master crafter. I recently made a rug. Um, and it's gotten a lot of... You're, you've been doing that, like, what is it called? Um... Punch needle. Yes, punch needle. Oh. Yes, it's like traditional rug hooking. And it's like this little pen device. And it basically just feeds yarn through. And you just, if you can poke a hole, you can punch needle. So, <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. And my rug gets lots of foot traffic, a big fan favorite. So nice. <laughs> really into that. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I feel like those are like the funnest things to know yeah. about me, I guess. And for everyone yeah. who doesn't know, I actually met Karina at Moody because we were in the same major. So That's right. we took our classes together and yeah. And today we're actually talking to you about the theology of menstruation. That's which right. I feel like most people are going to be like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was yes. first introduced to this when you, this was your like senior thesis. And yes. I really wanted to have you on because I know we have a lot of female listeners and I know that this was super impactful to me and I know you have a heart for sharing this with people. So yeah, what, what kind of first made you interested in this topic? Oh my gosh. I love that you asked that. Yeah. I actually, being a woman that has been menstruating for years, um, I had just realized no one really ever taught me about menstruation. Um, I think a lot of us actually as women have only been taught really generally, like as a little girl, hey, one day you're going to get your period and here's what you do to stop up whatever happens. And that's kind of it. Like for our whole adult life is reaching back to that one conversation. Um, so I, I, it was the same conversation I had had growing up, just that one small, like, hey, you're going to get your period one day. Here's how you deal with it. So I really didn't know anything about menstruation. And actually, I found myself in a classroom one day. And I can recall there was this professor and he was teaching about uh, like technology in the world or something. I don't know. And he was sitting in his chair and he had his legs on the desk in front of him and his legs were crossed and he was propped backwards with his hands behind his head. And I remember he had said really casually, he was really relaxed. He was like, you know, everything has a purpose. And I remember sitting in my class in the front row, first day of my period, I was hunched over in pain. My legs are crossed. I'm looking down. I'm just slumped over in um, excruciating pain. And I can remember hearing him say, everything is purposed. And me sitting there and thinking, huh, is my blood purposed? Mm -hmm. And and it kind of sent me on this spiral of questions between me and the Lord and between me and other women of, is my blood purposed? And You know, I went to church the next weekend and we took communion and in communion, we're remembering Christ's blood and Christ's body broken and shed for us. And I remember thinking, wow, we sing about Christ's blood. We pray about Christ's blood and we're taking communion. Does my blood matter? 
might God have something to say about my bleeding and the bleeding of all women? And if it does matter, would it change the way that I live my life? And it was these questions that just started demanding an answer inside of me. And I was just so craving anyone to answer them. So I, you know, Googled like blood and Christ or like blood and women and Christ and God, or I went to all of the friends I knew and I asked them, what do you think about this? And we were all stumped. None of us knew like what was going on, if anything. And actually it was met with a lot of like laughter and like, what? You're crazy. And nothing's going on there. Like it's just a bodily process. And so for me, I kind of just took those questions and ran with it. And I was like, you know, if all of this is silly, then so be it. And I'm so thankful that I really just pressed in because man, the Lord's like taught me so many things about him and his son and um, me. And I've just been changed in such beautiful ways that now I'm like, oh my gosh, any woman I can walk up to and say, Hey girl, do you get your period? And she's going to be like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, me too. Can I tell you about it? And I, can I tell you about Christ too? And it's the best. It's the coolest. It's the coolest conversation. So that's kind of how I first started getting interested in the topic. That's awesome. That is such a cool story. I know that I've never thought about my period related to Jesus at yeah. all. So when Megan told me about yeah. this topic and I was reading about it, I was like, yes. oh my gosh, of course, like everything, everything is, you know, like right. connected and has a purpose, but you just don't think about your period yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, and even as a woman, we're just, we just don't understand our bodies in general. Like you were saying, we're not taught about our period. We don't know what's going on in our reproductive cycle. Yeah. And I think it's very yeah. valuable as a woman to be knowledgeable about your cycle. But can you talk about that and why you think that we should be more informed and know more of what is going on in our bodies and with our cycles? Yes, of course I can. Well, I think first and foremost, half of the population bleeds. Mm-hmm half of the world bleeds perpetually and it's not once and it's not every couple of years it's like every month women are bleeding and we're not having the conversation I think of like man what is something that the majority like half of people do I don't know people like laugh maybe we should talk about laughter or I don't know, people, we can like think of things that are going on in our lives, like exercise or um, things that we really care about, like going to the movies. And we start thinking of, you know, does this matter to God? Because it matters to me. And I think, wow, I really think that it's valuable to know if something's taking place in the body of all women, I want to know about it. And I think maybe God has something to say about it too. Mm. Um, so I think it's valuable just in the pure fact that all women go through this experience. It's something that we can all relate to. Um, and I can really confidently walk up to any woman in any context in any part of the world and say, Hey, um, if you're in between the ages of maybe 10 and 45, I could say, Hey, did you bleed in the last 40 days? And they're probably going to say, yes, I did. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the biggest thing I think is valuable for us to know about. I, I even think it's interesting when we think of, you know, I perpetually shed my blood 
And in my lifespan, I'm going to have around 500 menstrual cycles. 500. That's insane. That's right. I'm like, isn't that a lot of experiences with this thing happening in my body? I want to know about that. I want to know about that really consistent, um, active cycle that's always happening inside of my body. So that's the biggest reason. Um, yeah. And I think secondly, like, kind of like I said before, you know, we, we sing songs about Christ's blood. We're like Christ's blood, cover us Christ's blood. Like I want, I'm saved by it. You know, we love to interact with talking about singing about Christ's blood that way, preaching about it, whatever. And I think, wow, how strange is it that all women bleed, yet we will not talk about it. We will not talk about it. Yeah. Um, And so I even think like, you know, even if there's no correlation between a woman's blood and Christ's blood, which I totally think there is, but even if there's not, man, it's worth at least asking the question. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's valuable for that, Um, man. And, you know, something that I've been so thankful for is bloodshed for new life. Christ shed his blood in order that I would have new life in him. And even if we don't totally know the menstrual cycle, I think a lot of women, at least who are trying actively to get pregnant, know that unless they have their period, unless they shed their blood, they cannot get pregnant, right? Like we know we have to have a regular menstrual cycle in order for us to conceive new life. So I think, wow, okay, so my blood is being shed for um, potential new life to happen inside my body one day. Whoa. Do you know who else's blood does that? Christ's bloodshed in order that I might have a new body. What? And just starting to make these comparisons of, you know, maybe my blood can reveal something about who God is. And, um, yeah, so I think it's so, so valuable to know for our own sake as women, um, what's going on just because it's happening inside of our bodies, anything that's happening inside, I want to know about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know in a few minutes we'll get into, you know, the theology of menstruation, but before we get there, could you just break down briefly what is actually happening in a woman's body during her menstrual cycle? Yes. Yes, I'd love to. So I actually was mind blown about two years ago. I found out for the first time my menstrual cycle, there's actually two cycles going on at the Mm -hmm. same time. And that blew my mind. I had no idea. I truly lived with an understanding of my cycle consists of I bleed and then I don't bleed. And then some random time later, I will bleed again. And then I don't bleed. And then I bleed. And that was it. That's all I knew. Um, And actually there's two cycles going on inside of the body of a woman. What's going on are inside of her ovaries. um, A woman has two ovaries and she has this tube called the fallopian tube and it connects to her uterus. Um, This is her reproductive organs, her ovaries and her uterus. And there's a cycle taking place in her ovaries and one taking place in her her uterus. And um, so what's going on generally in the ovaries um, and in the uterus in the first half of a woman's menstrual cycle, it's all preparation. 
it's all preparation. So what's going on in the first half is a woman starts her period and what's going on there is she's shedding her blood. This is day one of a woman's menstrual cycle. So next time you start bleeding, you can say, I'm on day one of my menstrual cycle. Um, so day one is when you start your bleed. And from that moment on until you ovulate, and we'll get there in a moment, your body is preparing itself for the chance to receive something new. Here's how it does that. Your uterus is washing away the inner lining of the womb. It's washing away this real thick, lush lining that did not receive something. Um, it didn't receive life. What it received was a dead egg. And so now that dead egg and that broken down uterine lining is washing from the woman's bridge from the womb into the world. She's birthing um, that dead egg and that lush wall with her bloodshed. And she's doing that in order to prepare her uterus to receive something new. It's the first step. She has to wash away the old, wash away the death. Mm -hmm. um, so inside of her uterus, while that's taking place, her ovaries are hard at work preparing an egg. Now, eggs, I like to call them a woman's life creating agent. They're um, this bank inside of a woman's body are her ovaries and they have lots and lots of eggs inside of them. And day one of a Simon's bleeding, her ovaries are starting to prepare one follicle, an egg. Um, and this is start, this is all starting the first few days of a woman's cycle. And then after a woman's done bleeding, um, what will happen inside of her uterus will, she'll start to build back up lining again. She's creating a lush environment in order to receive something new. So what's going on is this life creating agent, this egg is being prepared to be released and her uterus uterus is being prepared to receive the new. So the first half of a woman's menstrual cycle, it's all about preparation. So that's around, um, I'll use my own cycle, for example, that's always between day one and day 13 or 14. My cycle's super consistent. It's um, 28 days, give or take one day on either side. So we'll go with mine for just an example. So 28 days, first 14 days, my body's preparing to receive something new. And then here comes in the middle, the main event, ovulation. And what's happening in ovulation is, it's like the ovaries are saying, all right, we're ready. Go ahead and release that mature egg. And um, so what happens there is that egg shoots out of the ovary and it travels through the fallopian tube. And during that time of ovulation, the uterus is preparing and waiting to see if something is going to be received. It's this grand act where the ovaries are saying, all right, we're ready. We're ready for new life. And the uterus is saying, all right, we're ready. We're ready for new life. Everyone has been prepared and waiting for this moment. Now, ovulation, uh, if the egg that has been released is not fertilized with a male sperm, male sperm is his life-creating agent. So if her life-creating agent is not met with his life-creating agent, her egg will die. And after that death, we move into the second part of the cycle. And here is the awaiting phase. 
So the first half is all about preparation. Let's prepare to receive something new. And ovulation is the main event. Everyone's ready for the newness. And then part two is awaiting. Everyone's awaiting. The ovaries and the uterus are awaiting. Did new life be conceived? Or are we dealing with a dead egg? Every single cycle is concluded with new life conceived or a dead egg, which is shed. So here's what happens in the second cycle or, or the second half of the cycle. Her ovaries now are communicating through her hormones to her body. And what's going on there is they're creating these hormones that are saying, all right, we will be prepared if pregnancy has occurred. And what's also going on at the same time is saying, we will be prepared if pregnancy did not occur. So the ovaries are preparing for life and for death. Same with the uterine cycle. The uterine cycle is prepared for life. And if that egg dies, the egg will travel through the fallopian tube and it will hang out inside of the uterus. And during the last four or five days of the cycle, the body knows, the ovaries communicate to the brain with hormones that, hey, new life has not been conceived and your hormones start to crash. And when that happens, your uterine side, your uterine lining starts to decay around the dead egg. So now what's happening is your womb is becoming a tomb for a dead egg. Now, a dead egg is not a dead life. I have to be really clear about that. Eggs are, mm -hmm. um, they are necessary life-creating agents, okay? And when they're met with the male sperm, they become life. That's the moment they're met and are fertilized, that's conception. But if they don't meet and there's no fertilization, it's a dead egg. Mm. Um, so I have to just be super clear about that. When I say every cycle is concluded by death or life, I mean, it's concluded by a dead egg or life being conceived. So what's happening in those last few days is her body is just breaking down. It's decaying around this dead egg. And this happens for a couple of days and day 28 comes. And then the next day you wake up and it's day one all over again. And what your body is doing is birthing that dead egg and the decayed uterine lining. And it starts over again. So every single cycle, even now, all three of us are somewhere in our menstrual cycles, most likely. And somewhere along the line, our body is either preparing to receive something new, it's releasing something for a new life, or it's waiting to see if life or death has occurred. And we are constantly in this cycle. Now, I know that's such a brief overview and there's so many words and phrases and things I could say to you, but um, it, it's not really the space for it, but man, it's such a beautiful thing to be able to learn about. And so I just implore you and encourage you to just Google even, man, what is happening in a menstrual cycle? And you're gonna learn so many things about different phases and different hormones. And I really think it's just gonna excite you and bring to life some new and fresh lenses to a far regularly experienced um, cycle within us. Wow. I have never thought about the fact that, yeah, we bleed in order to prepare and for possible new life, mm -hmm. just like Jesus bled to create new life. 
And I don't know, I know any other woman listening that we are suddenly thinking about our cycles in a totally different way. Like now I'm like, my period is beautiful. That's amazing. I know. Isn't that beautiful? And even it's something I say all the time when I'm bleeding, Adam makes fun of me for it constantly. Whenever I'm bleeding and I'm on my menstrual period, I will say out loud, you know, I will gladly shed my blood in order that I might have new life inside of my body one day. I will gladly shed my blood for that. And for me, it just gives me so much perspective and so much peace and so much joy too. And it's, it's so beautiful to know, even like when I'm talking with someone even, and they're like, man, um, like, how are you feeling today? And I'm like, not good. I have really bad cramps. And to be able to say, you know, it's okay that I don't feel good. I'm birthing death. Mm-hmm. Wow. It, it makes sense that I don't feel good. That doesn't sound like it would feel good and it doesn't feel good. And just to honor that pain in the midst of being able to rejoice and say, yeah, I'll gladly shed my blood for this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also changes just our language around our periods, because I know I've just heard a lot of women when we refer to our cycle, it's very self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. It's yes. when we have terms like the curse for our period, yes. or it's just yes. very, there's a lot yes. of negativity. And when you think of it as this beautiful illustration that we get to tangibly experience that has these deep theological implications, yeah. it kind of changes even just the way you want to yeah. speak towards yourself in your cycle and about your cycle right. itself that, you right. know, no, this, this is not a curse. This is mm-hmm. such a, a beautiful example for me. Um, yes. And I know this is something you've talked about a lot, which is why you kind of developed this theology of menstruation. So yeah. Can you just really break down what is, or what do you mean by a theology of menstruation. Yeah, of course I can. What I mean when I say theology of menstruation is, you know, what does God have to say about some part of my life? That's what I mean when I say theology. Whatever's going on with me, I think God has something to say about it. And maybe it will reveal something about who God is and his character. And so when I say all of the administration, what I'm meaning is, man, I think that God wants me to look at him and ask him, Lord, could you reveal to me what is going on here? And can I know you better because of it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm meaning when I'm saying theology of menstruation is just, I think that our menstrual cycles have something to do with God and, mm-hmm. um, and something to do about who I am. And it's this perpetual bleeding, you know, I think it's purposed and, and I think God really does care and, um, that it would, it would matter to him deeply and that it's okay for it to matter to me deeply too. Yeah. 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 I think too, it's, um, you know, we've talked about on this podcast quite frequently, just that we are embodied creatures. Like our bodies have meaning. We're not just, it's not a shell that we're existing in. And yes, you know, to, to say that this very important and monumental part of my body that affects me greatly mm-hmm. doesn't have any meaning, that it's not purposed, mm-hmm. would kind of be mm-hmm. to say that my body doesn't matter. And so I think it's really important yeah, even totally. just putting it out, like theology of menstruation. You know, we talk about theology of the body and just, you know, what does it mean that we're embodied creatures mm-hmm. that we 
that our bodies are part of who we are. Mm -hmm. I think, I think especially yeah. for women, this is a really important aspect of our bodies to think yes. about because it affects us yes. every month. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So I know you've said before, um, just, you know, on your Instagram and times you've shared this, you call um, blood mm -hmm. the sustainer of one's life. So could you just explain yes. and break that down for us? Yeah, yeah. So when I was starting to study about this and learn about it, I caught myself talking a lot about blood, obviously, clearly. Um, and I remember thinking, man, what is blood? Like, okay, I know blood's that gooey stuff. And I know if I trip, it's going to pour from my forehead, <laughs> like, or a knee with a bash or something. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, man, like, what is blood? And I just Googled, I just looked up what is blood. And it, I was really fascinated to see that blood is a, it's this, it's this fluid substance that is literally necessary for a body to have life. And I was like, wow, how remarkable is that? My blood is a fluid that is necessary to be inside of my body to sustain my physical life. Mm. That just, it just kind of shocked me and blew my mind. I just, I'd never really thought of blood more than just if I tripped or gotten hurt or something like that. But when I really thought about my life is being sustained by my blood, I thought, wow, I don't want my blood to leave my body. It's my body's being sustained by it. So um, that, that's what I'm kind of meaning when I talk about it. And it, it helps so much when we think about bloodshed. Um, bloodshed, it's actually a term known in a lot of different languages to mean violent death. So when we think about bloodshed, we might recall a story or a time when um, we got hurt or accidentally sliced a finger when we were chopping carrots or something. But really, when we use the word bloodshed, what we're talking about or what it has usually been used to talk about um, in language is to mean death. And that's because if blood, a literal life-sustaining substance, is exposed from a body, that means its life is being drained from its body. Um, so this term bloodshed, it's being communicated of death. So when we talk about blood, oftentimes people will use blood as a metaphor for life. And oftentimes people will use blood as a metaphor for death. But when we look at bloodshed, what's literally going on there is my blood is being poured out. And if it doesn't stop, it, I will die. My body needs its blood in order to survive. And it needs to be maintain, maintained inside of me. Um, and it's actually, it's so interesting when I started to look at the word blood, I wanted to know, okay, what is blood literally inside of a body? And I had come to learn blood literally inside of a body is a necessary fluid. And then when I come to learn, how do we use the term blood in language? And we use the term blood to communicate life. And sometimes we use the term blood to communicate death. Um, and then learning, okay, well, what's bloodshed literally? What is it doing? And seeing bloodshed is bringing about death to physical life. It's a life-sustaining substance being exposed and removed from a body. 
and we use bloodshed to communicate death metaphorically even if it even if death didn't happen literally truly we use the word bloodshed to communicate about death so then I was like you know what does the bible have to say about blood and it's so interesting to me because the bible uses the word blood or the term blood I guess um some like 400 times in total I think it's like 300 and 60-ish. I'd have to check times in the Old Testament and um, between 60 and 90 times in the New Testament. And it was so fascinating to me to learn about the word blood in scripture because what's being communicated when the term blood is being used is most oftentimes death. So usually when, whenever the word blood comes about, even though we know now that blood is a literal substance that sustains one life, when it's used in the Bible, it's most often a metaphor used for death because what's being communicated is that blood was shed unto death, that literal blood was shed unto death. So this term blood, when we read it, we can start familiar, familiarizing ourselves with, I think they might be kind of talking about death here. And it can cue us into what might they be talking about when they're using this term blood, because maybe they're trying to communicate something about death in this passage. And that has been the most beautiful part for me when I've been studying the word blood in different passages is it's usually used to communicate violent death, a violent murder that has happened. Um, and even if it's not, it's used to communicate something about death. Sometimes that, that death, the death of somebody or the bloodshed of somebody has made guilt accrue onto somebody's life or the blood of somebody or the death of somebody has made um, something possible for another person's life or this term innocent blood that we see in scripture an innocent life or don't shed innocent life unto death innocent blood. So um, when I started to see, you know, blood is a literal life sustainer in one's body, it just kind of unraveled from there to see how do we use blood in language and how does the Bible use blood and to see, wow, the Bible most often uses that term to communicate death and something about death, which when I started to think about Christ even more and when we talk about his blood or sing about it or whatever and thinking, wow, we're talking about his death. We're not just talking about, and we are talking about his literal life-sustaining substance, but we're also talking about his life-sustaining substance shed unto death. Mm -hmm. Wow. Just kind of opened up this really sweet understanding about who God is and just simply diving into what blood means. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's so beautiful. You know, as we're recording this, obviously it's going to be published later, but as we're recording it, we're approaching the Easter season and yeah. just thinking through, you know, Christ dying on the cross for us. And I also think of, you know, this was around the time of the yeah. Passover for the Jews and uh, the Passover yes. blood is symbolically, you know, painted over the doorposts as a as yes. a sign and and just all that significance and meaning, I think, just yeah your study is just really um really i think diving into how god even also uses blood as symbolism and as a message in his scripture as well and mm -hmm. as you were saying that death um our blood 
is used to refer to death, which is that occurred violently, is that the really yeah. cool thing about Jesus is that Jesus took that and totally flipped it. Yes. And now with yes. his bloodshed yes. is now it's, you know, new life. And so now that we see mm -hmm. any kind of suffering, which is really beautiful when we suffer in our own lives, can bring about yes. new life. Like with that suffering, yep. God can bring about new life. And we can also definitely yeah. connect that to our periods because our periods we often see, as we talked about before, we see it as a curse for a lot of women, their periods are terrible yeah. and there is a lot of pain and there is yes. a lot of suffering, but we can connect that back to Christ on the cross that exactly through his right. suffering, he brought about new life mm -hmm. and within exactly our own cycles, right. yeah, within our own suffering, you know, we, our bodies literally are, are preparing to possibly bring about new life. Mm -hmm. And even in our own suffering, we can connect that to Jesus That's on the right. cross with That's our right. periods and have a more positive view of our That's periods. Right. Even if you have a really terrible, almost it feels violent within period. Cause yes. sometimes ladies, that is what it feels like. Yes. There's literally yes. violence being waged yes. within our uterus, within our wombs. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And isn't it so beautiful just to be able to talk about our period? Mm -hmm. It's like that. Like we can hold so many things to be true at the same time. We can say, gosh, this violent thing is happening inside of my body right now. And at the same time say, man, blood has, the symbol has been flipped around. How beautiful it's communicating to me, renewal and restoration. And we can hold that violent death that's happening at the same time of renewal of life. And it's beautiful because Christ did that. And I just think, wow, what an honor that he used this substance that women are so familiar with bloodshed. And he mm -hmm. used that substance to redeem us. Like, mm -hmm. and you know, I mean, a man doesn't relate to Christ in that way. He, yeah. he never sheds his blood in such a way where new life would come from it. And so I think, wow, what an honor to be able to participate in um, this new life story with my bloodshed with Christ. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a, in a way a sacrifice too. You know, yeah. I'm going through and yep. experiencing this bloodshed, mm -hmm. this pain, whatever comes with it. Yeah. So because yeah. I have a body that can nurture and hold life yes. and that I, as we're exactly talking about it, this yeah. as we're talking about death as we're talking about pain i know a question that comes to my mind yeah. and i'm sure it comes to a lot of people's mind is well is this how it's supposed to be you know mm. it, are we supposed to be yeah. experiencing all this pain or is right. was there a better way um so how do you right. think our reproductive cycle was supposed to be before the fall? Because I know part mm. of the fall was that yes. Eve's reproduction was cursed. It, she would have pain in childbearing. Yeah. And it doesn't say childbirth. Right. It says childbearing. So it's right. all that yes. it comes with That's that. Exactly right. So how do you think yeah. that looked before the cycle or before the fall? How is it supposed to be? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And isn't it so interesting to think in this in this way when we start talking about blood it kind of causes us to ask those questions like what a beautiful thing I think for so long as women we just assume you know all women around me bleed so this just must have been going on for all of time I guess it's just how women's bodies were created right and just how cool is it just to even look back and think was there a different way like did something change mm. 
after the fall occurred. And man, I think, yes, 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 something changed after the fall occurred, of course. And um, it's hard to answer that because I think, you know, there's only one woman, like our first female matriarch, Eve, who gets ragged on so hard, but man, she's the first female matriarch. And like, what a beauty to behold and look back on and just speculate. Like, I wonder what that body would have been like. I wonder what rest and freedom and joy and lack of pain and Mm. delight she would have gotten to experience inside of our bodies. And I know for us as women, we experience horrific things inside of our bodies and they don't work the way that they're supposed to in so many ways and totally, especially in our menstrual cycles. But wow, we can gaze back at our first female matriarch Eve and think, I wonder what it would have been like for you. But it is tough because literally there's only one woman who ever got to live inside of a body that wasn't affected by the fall and it was Eve. And you know, it wasn't even all of her days. It was just before the fall that she got to experience that. So even though it's speculative, there are a few things I do think we can say they haven't existed until after the fall. So, <clears throat> so I think that there was no bloodshed before the fall, actually. So as we had kind of talked about earlier, blood is a stainer of physical life. And when blood is shed, it brings death. And in any amount, be it once like pouring out or just one drop, blood always when shed communicates death to physical life. And I don't think that there was any death of physical life before the fall, especially not inside of the body of a woman or the body of a man. So for that reason, I think whatever cycle or process or whatever was taking place, I think it excluded shed blood. I think it excluded death. So I think that's the first thing when I think back to the first woman and how our bodies were designed um, and how our bodies have been affected by the fall is, I don't think that there was any bloodshed before, before the fall. And along with that, I don't think that there was any death or decay inside of the body of a woman before the fall. So when I talk about death and decay, I think of, inside of a woman's bodies. You guys remember that um, life-creating agent I was talking about before, the eggs? So um, inside of a woman's body and her ovaries, she's got this bank of all of these eggs and they die by the millions inside of her. They die by the millions inside of her. Her life-creating agents die inside of her. Men don't have life-creating agents die inside of them, but I experience millions of those inside of my ovaries. Now, inside of my ovaries, those are immature eggs. Those eggs are not ready yet to be met by the male's life-creating agent to create new life. But even still, I think, was that death meant to happen inside of my body? Was I meant to experience millions of decaying eggs inside of my body? And I don't think the answer would be yes. Included in that, um, those millions of of deaths inside of our ovaries, we experience hundreds of deaths inside of our uterus as women. Um, As I said before, women have 500 around cycles in their lifetime. That's 500 experiences with a dead mature egg. Meaning 
that's 500 experiences with this life creating agent that could potentially be met and have new life dying inside of me, man, that's like a lot of death and decay inside of our bodies, millions of deaths in our ovaries and hundreds of deaths in our uterus. I don't think God designed our bodies to have these deaths inside of us. I don't think he, I think he would have created our bodies to be abundant with life creating capabilities. I think we would have been ever bearing as women capable um, and having access to our eggs without this death being included. And it's interesting actually, when you start looking at a comparison of the male and the female life creating agent. This blew my mind, rocked my world, shook me upside down. And it's so funny when I tell people about it because I watch some women just, their jaws drop and and others are like, okay, like that's just data, but we'll see how it goes over. But to me, I'm like, wow, this is mind blowing. So here we go. Um, When we compare the male sperm and the female's egg, we can see that the male's sperm hit its life capacity, it can live up to five days inside of the body of a woman once it's released. So his sperm can live five days inside of a woman after being released and her eggs can only live 12 to 24 hours. So we have this huge disconnect. Wow, his can live for five days, his sperm. Mine can only live for 24 hours at best what a disconnect. Did, did God create my body in such a, in such a way where creating new life would be so hard for me? I don't know. So that's the first thing I think of. Wow. His can live for five days. Mine only lives for 12 to 24 hours. Now here's the kicker. Here's the kicker ladies. He produces 40 million to 1.2 billion sperm every ejaculation. Now, I don't know if I can say that on here, but that's just the truth of it. 40 million to 1.2 billion life-creating agents every single time from the moment he hits puberty for the rest of his life. 40 million to 1.2 billion. She produces one mature egg once a month. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So funny. Right. 1.2 billion. Yes. (laughs) Isn't that like a mockery in the face of reproduction? Yes. Yes. And every single time I'm like, you're 40 million that one time on a low end Mm. surpasses my 500 that I will be able to ovulate in my entire lifetime. In one, in one release, he puts off infinitely more life-creating agents than I can ever put off in my lifetime. Wow. Isn't that insane? Mm. Wow. I think, man, maybe I was actually supposed to have access to more of my eggs Mm. for a longer period of time. Okay. Now here's the thing that's going to blow your life, ladies. It's going to rock your world. So men can produce more and more and more and more and more and more life-creating agents after puberty. They just keep creating them. For women, 
their ovaries are a bank. Mm -hmm. You cannot create any more than she already has. Mm. And in utero, in her mother's womb, each of you ladies, when you were inside of your mother's womb, you had six to seven million eggs, six to seven million eggs inside of your mother's womb, inside of your ovaries. At birth, you had 1 million left. That means about 6 million have already died by the time you were born. It's like the odds are against us. The odds are against us. That's right. And it gets even graver. By the time we hit puberty, we only have 300,000 eggs left. Yeah. Isn't this just a gruesome affront against the female body, right? And in her whole life, she will only ever get to ovulate, only get to access mature eggs 500 times. Only 500 Mm. of the 7 million that she was created with will she ever have access to. And man, when I compare that, when I compare the woman's life creating agent and the man's life creating agent, creating agent I think something's wrong here yeah something's not equaling up and I don't know what that process would have looked like before the fall but man I totally think it would have looked a little bit more even at least that she could be Mm. to somewhat some extent just as ever bearing as he was yeah yeah we wouldn't have menopause we wouldn't have mm-hmm. such a time clock on women so many mm-hmm. women suffer from thinking my fertility time clock like i need to get married i need to have babies mm-hmm. i'm running out of time and women very much feel we feel that yeah. in our bodies i always mm-hmm. hear women joking like when you turn 25 you start just feeling that mm-hmm. like time that your ovaries like literally it's ticking down to when you can't yes. have babies anymore and guys yes. they're like ah they're just <laughs> They do not have to deal with the same pressure or the same worries. So yes. And isn't that just so, isn't that so aggressive? It's just so aggressive that Mm -hmm. as women, we have to think through, you know, and, and even as I talk about this, I'm talking about the healthiest of healthiest women, Yeah, the healthiest of healthiest, you know, if we have a sickness going on or if there's something going on, um, uh, like in our brains or something going on that we have a preset condition, our fertility and our ability to create new life can be really just, um, it can be messed with and it can be um, something that we really struggle with. So even as I talk about this, I'm not talking by any means about all women. Mm. And I'm probably not even talking about most women. I'm, I'm most likely talking about very healthiest of healthy women out there. And, and that's just tragic to me. Mm -hmm. It really makes me just sit and ponder too. You know, when, you know, Eve chose to eat that fruit, it was from the, you know, God told her from the moment you eat this, you will die. And she doesn't die. And so we're kind of left to wonder what did God mean? And and people have speculated like, oh, it was a spiritual death. And I do think there was an aspect of that, but even Mm. just God pronouncing this over her that you will have pain in childbearing, you know, and we immediately think of like, oh yeah, labor is really painful. And and that is definitely valid, but 
but what is pain in childbearing could it be that there is emotional pain could it be Mm -hmm. that there's loss could it be Mm -hmm. that there is you know a brokenness there that we're mm-hmm. experiencing so intimately inside our bodies that happened mm-hmm. the moment she chose to eat that fruit like right. what shifted what changed so yeah. deep inside her and and i think yeah. like you were saying you know it's it's obviously speculation i don't know that we could know for sure on the exactly. side of heaven, exactly it yeah. does bring a lot of questions and it right you know, it, and it it makes us yeah how we view how our bodies work yeah yeah so differently (laughs) i know and isn't it interesting even when i look at it i was like there's nothing that says anything in scripture about what her body was like like in the term of menstrual cycles before the fall but then you start looking at this and you're like oh my gosh maybe it just wasn't like this and i just think wow what a beautiful thing to think like our bodies could have been more filled with life and now they're filled with death Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. Yeah. and I know you said just on your um your channel too that our menstrual cycle tells a story oh yes kind of what you're hinting at now you know creation fall redemption future restoration so could you just walk us through that illustration that is in our bodies yes yes I'd love to um and even as we walk through it's cool because blood and blood shed, you can just kind of trace it right through the Bible. And it tells us a lot about our blood and our bloodshed. So I'm glad that you've asked. Um, when we look at creation, I, we, we don't actually see the word blood used in the creation narrative. Mm-hmm. And to me, that clues me in on, oh, blood was almost always used in scripture to communicate violent death. So to me, I'm like, huh, that makes sense that blood wouldn't be used. The word wouldn't be used in the creation narrative. Now, when we look at creation, we can look at um, the way that Adam was formed and the way that Eve was formed. And it's really beautiful to look through how their bodies were crafted by God in such a beautiful way. And even when God pronounces the name to Adam, I just think it's beautiful when we hear the names Adam and Eve, there's a story behind of them. So Adam, his name in Hebrew means the first man. So his name means first man. And when we look at um, a couple other Hebrew words, we can see that, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Adama means soil or ground. And there's a verse in the creation narrative that says that Adam was made from the dirt and the soil, right? So we know Adama is pointing to soil and ground, that word. And the word for blood in Hebrew is dam. So what's being communicated when we hear Adam's name is that he's the first man who was made of Adama, soil, and dam, which is blood. The first man is made of the ground and of blood. And I think, wow, what a beautiful first thing to know about this first man's name, like what a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so I just think, wow, what a story to know about him. And then Eve, on the other hand, her name, Eve, when we hear her name pronounced, we, I, I was reading and we know that in the scripture, it says that Eve's name means mother of all living. And here's the beautiful thing that's just soothed my broken heart so many times is that pronunciation and that name given to Eve, the mother of all living, 
it was given to her before she ever actually had any children. Mm. She's pronounced mama to all living before we ever get to know if she's actually capable of that. Before we know if she actually ever does do that, she's declared mother of all living. And I think, whoa, what a beautiful thing to be declared. So I love, I just love thinking about their names and hearing about them and thinking of our first female matriarch in that way. Um, but yeah, I just think it's beautiful. Blood's never mentioned in the creation narrative. And it makes sense because bloodshed leads to death. And blood is a term most often used to communicate violent bloody murder, which makes sense because the first time we see the word blood used, the term blood used in scripture explicitly is um, after the first murder takes place. Mm. We see the word blood used. Mm. Wow. I just think that's incredible. So in creation, um, I I think that God created, you know how he creates and he calls good and he creates a little more and he calls good. Um, and I think, man, whatever it is that God created inside of our bodies, he created and called it good, indeed, very good. Mm. And man, I think that that excluded bloodshed and I think it excluded death inside of our bodies too. So that's what I think about when I think of creation um, and there's so many interactions we can have with that, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So when we jump over to the fall, it's, it's hard to talk about the fall, I think, because as women, I think we kind of live in this fall mentality as though no other narrative has existed before, but I still have to go over it just because I, I want us to grasp the weight of what has changed at the fall. And that's everything, everything changed at the fall. Death and decay has just eroded our lives in aggressive ways, I think. And um, when, when we look at the narrative of the fall that's going on in Genesis 3 and a little bit onward, we see God has three responses to humanity. He gives a display of grace, a display of consequence, and he demonstrates that these, that the humans have need. And so I, I, when we think about the consequence, I know we had talked about a couple of times that multiplied pain yeah. in childbearing, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and it's interesting to me to think about that multiplied pain in childbearing. And there's a couple different ways that scholars kind of break that multiplied pain down. Um, and there's two ways that I've found to just be really helpful and that I really enjoy. So I'll share kind of both of those ways. So way number one is that that multiplied pain is communicating that uh, after the fall, God says, hey, if you eat this, you will surely die. And then after they eat it, um, they experience shame for the first time. So that would be a painful experience mm -hmm. um, is the way that these scholars start to communicate is that there's pain there. And when this pronunciation of there will be multiplied pain and childbearing is communicated. It's not to say that there was pain before the fall and now a new increased pain after the fall. What's being communicated is that this new pain that's happened since the fall will be multiplied by even more pain in childbearing. So to break it down real simply, it's to say there will be pain on top of this now new pain mm. in 
childbearing that you will experience. And I just think, wow, what a beautiful thing to think about is that this pain didn't exist before, that it, it actually started the moment of the fall and it's being multiplied now. And the Lord's saying there's going to be compounding pain from here on out. So that's kind of the first way. And then the second way is um, there's some scholars that talk about how the multiplied pain and childbearing is um, just simply pain compounding. They're just a simple way of saying not that there was pain before the fall and increase now after, but what they're just saying is, hey, I want you to know there's going to be pain and there's going to be pain. Mm. <laughs> so here we go. Like buckle up because there's going to be pain and then more pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even think like the word multiplied when we think of a math equation, when you multiply something, you multiply two times two, two doesn't have to exist on the, on the sheet before you multiply it by two. You can just add the full, you know, that whole equation there and it makes sense to us. We can say, oh, that's a multiplication. And I think when we look at this, we imagine there must have been pain before and it's being multiplied. But I actually think that pain is new and it's being increased. Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on there. There's pain and abundance and it, and it affects all women. We kind of sometimes think about, man, that pain must just be for women when they're literally birthing their child. Um, sadly, it is not just for the woman when she's birthing her child, that pain has affected all women. And it's the entire, entire childbearing process. I think about, um, creating new life, the pain that comes into that, how many women struggle with infertility. Mm. Wow. What pain creating new life. I think about the pain of creating new life for the single woman who longs for marriage and children and doesn't have that. Wow. What pain. I think about the woman who has gone past menopause, past the time when she has her menstrual cycle, and maybe she longs to have new life and have a child. Wow. What pain that she can't. Mm -hmm. And I think about women who struggle with PCOS and endometriosis and all of these things that just bring pain about in creating new life. Mm-hmm. And I think about the growing process, man, one in four, at least the last time I looked, we see that one in four women known pregnancies ends in a miscarriage. One in four known pregnancies end in a miscarriage. Man, that is pain multiplied if I've ever seen it. I think about um, pain and birthing we know that there's pain in birthing and all the mamas I talk to about their birthing, they say it was horrifically painful, more painful than I could have ever imagined it being. Mm. And I think about the moms um, who nurture new life from their bodies. That is so painful. And Mm. even as women rear their children and bring them up, there's so much suffering tied. So when we think about the woman's life and her creating, growing, birthing, and nurturing new life, man, there's just pain inflicted in all of it. And there's pain, we see it in menstruation, the menstrual pain that women have. And when we're cramping, um, it makes sense that we're having so much pain because our bodies are literally contracting. Our bodies are having small forms of contractions in order to birth 
this dead egg with our bloodshed. Wow, I think that it's just pain. It's, it's pain in abundance, this consequence. Decay and death in abundance. We already talked about the eggs and the ovaries dying by the millions in the ovaries and by the hundreds in the uterus. There's death and decay in abundance and there's bloodshed in abundance. Women perpetually shed a substance which sustains their life. We perpetually shed it over and over and over again. Wow, what a consequence. And it's deep stuff, man. It hurts and it's sad and it's hard and it's weep worthy. I encourage you just to weep about these things. Um, and praise God that that's not the only thing that he communicates at the fall. He communicates grace to us too, I think about Man, he does not shut our womb forever. Mm. Praise God. Our bodies stop bleeding. Praise God. What a, what a beautiful thing that the Lord has not shut our womb forever. Thank you, Lord. And even though I think our wombs would have been um, more accessible before, thank you, Lord, that you haven't shut it forever. Mm. What a grace, Lord. And you know, it's even beautiful too, because now as a post-fall female, my menstrual cycle is a sign of my health, actually. Yeah, it's a vital I, sign. <laughs> a yeah. vital sign. That's right. Of my health. I think, wow, Lord, what a gracious thing you've set inside of my body. It's for my health. And we know this, girls, whenever you've gone to the doctor, the first thing they're going to ask you, or one of the first things they're going to ask you mm -hmm. is, when was the last time you had your period? And they want to know about pregnancy, of course, but also if we have a missing period, it can clue our doctors in that there's something else going on. And I know just for examples, there are so many things that can affect our periods, our menstrual cycles, like an eating disorder or endometriosis or stress can affect it or past trauma or um, an accident that we've been in or there's like seriously so many things that can affect our menstrual cycle. So I think, wow, the Lord really communicated graciously by giving it this process, this cycle to help regulate death and life inside of our bodies. And we actually need it now as post-fall women. What a grace from the Lord. He communicates need to us as well. The Lord communicates. Now, this is so tricky when we look in the scriptures because there's this huge long passage about the law of Moses. And I don't know if you guys have checked this out before. It's in Leviticus 15 and it talks about a woman being unclean while she's shedding her blood. Mm -hmm. And I know I've read that in my younger years and thought, wow. I guess I must be unclean too. And I'm here to tell you that is so untrue. You are not unclean because of your bloodshed. Um, now, the law of Moses did communicate holiness and mercy. The Lord used it to communicate that he requires holiness and that he's offering his mercy. And the beautiful thing about it is we are no longer bound to the law of Moses and we'll get there and we'll celebrate that. But I want you to know you are not unclean because of your blood shedding. And here's the thing, even those women who did shed their blood under the Levitical law, it's not that those, it's not that their blood itself was unclean because mm. blood is a vital sustainer of one's life. It's that when blood is shed, it's communicating death and any time that blood is shed, it's communicating death. 
and death isn't holy. Death isn't clean. We were made for life, not for death. So when we even think about that and we think about the law of Moses, that uncleanliness going on there, isn't that her blood is unclean? It's that shedding blood communicates death and shedding blood is shedding a life creating agent onto the ground, which has died. That is not, I don't think the way that God made our bodies and he's communicating that through his law. So that's what he's communicating there. He's communicating consequence, grace, and need. And wow, I think as ladies, we know the pain of groaning with this childbearing bane right up until this very moment. We know that pain of groaning and I groan with you, sister, but great news is we can move to redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing about redemption. Christ's blood fulfills the law of Moses. His blood redeems a symbol of uncleanliness. His blood washes away death and his blood makes way for a new life. And we can trace that right through scripture. And the beauty of it is that the woman's body is connected to each one of those things. His blood fulfills the law. Atonement is made with blood with Christ's blood. God, when he communicates holiness, it's satisfied by the death of Christ. It's satisfied by the blood of Christ. Mm. The substance which is used to expiate sin or to make atonement for sin, the substance is blood. And we can trace that all the way through. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sin, Um, it's implied that God slaughters an animal and gives them clothing in their skin. Blood had to shed because of their death. He made atonement for them with this blood of an animal. And it symbolizes, um, and it looks forward and points to now this bloodshed of Christ, who is the perfect spotless lamb, the perfect um, and spotless one who is capable to atone for all of our sin. He serves as a cover and atoner for our sin. So I think, wow, his blood fulfills the law, which is great news for a woman because that means I'm no longer bound to the law of Moses. Praise God. I am no longer bound. I don't have to do the ceremonies and the sacrifices for my menstrual blood because Christ dealt with death with his blood. Thank you, Lord. What a great news. Um, His blood redeems a symbol. And man, this is remarkable. God takes the thing that once marked a woman as being ceremonially unclean, blood, and he turns it into the thing that marks all of humanity as clean, Mm. his blood. How beautiful. What a redeemed symbol. Bloodshed no longer reminds a woman of uncleanliness. Bloodshed can be a reminder of to her of her own cleanliness. Yeah. I love that. I love that about the symbol of blood mm-hmm. and he redeems it. His blood washes away death. And we know in the woman's cycle, when that egg dies inside of her, it has to leave her body. Death cannot stay inside of her uterus. The mature egg once died has to be washed away. And the only way it can wash away is by the giving of her life-sustaining substance, by the giving of her blood. Death is washed away 
with death. Mm-hmm. And we see this on the cross. Our death is placed on Christ. He takes on our death and he destroys it yeah. by the giving of his blood, by the giving of his life over unto death. Christ washes all of humanity's death by his blood. And I love thinking about that. When I'm shedding my blood, I think, wow, I'm washing away a dead egg. Mm -hmm. And when I think about Christ, I think, wow, he washed away all of humanity's death once and for all. Thank you, Lord. I love that. And he did it once for all of humanity. And I do this once a month for just an egg. Mm -hmm. When I think about his blood, it makes way for new life. His blood had to happen inside of his body in order that new life could happen inside of him. And the thing is, his blood had to stop bleeding. He had to stop bleeding that he, we might have new life inside of him. And in our own bodies as females, bloodshed has to happen inside of us, but bloodshed has to stop from our bodies in order that we might have new life inside of our bodies. He makes way for new life by the shedding of his blood. We make way for new life by the shedding of our blood. This is rejoice worthy. And I could sing about this and praise about this so long. And the beauty of it is, is that we can wait on the Lord as well. When we look towards future restoration, there are so many things that talk about the anticipation of God returning, of Christ returning um, to fully at once unite us to him. He will come again. We know this from the creeds that we say in church, right? He will come again. Mm -hmm. And we believe in that. And so what do we do with that restoration? What do we do with that? We wait and we hope for Christ's return. We wait and we hope. and. The great news for us is that all women are invited to wait and to hope for Christ's return. I think about all of the people who go to church, all of the women who are a part of a church body. Mm-hmm. And God says, this is my blood. This is my body. Come, eat of me, drink of me, do it again. Come back to the table. Remember my blood. Remember my body. Do it again. Come back to the table, remember my body, remember my blood, do it again. This is how the church waits for Christ to return. They commune with Christ, with his body and with his blood. That's how the church waits. Mm -hmm. And as the bride, um, all you ladies out there who are married and all you ladies out there who are not, this is how the bride waits. There in scripture, there's talk of blood covenants that are made. And Christ makes a blood covenant with us. He makes a promise to us with his blood um, Mm -hmm. when it sheds on the cross. And I think of, um, this is something that I think is purely speculation, totally speculation, but I think it might be something really cool to just ponder and consider is inside of a woman's body, there's this flesh piece in her vaginal canal and it's called the hymen. And this has no function inside of the body. It doesn't help the body in any way. It's just a small flesh um, piece inside of her body that contains blood. And oftentimes when a woman has penetrative sex for the first time, that flesh piece, that hymen will break 
and blood will spill. And something I like to just think about, and it's not in scripture, but it's something I think is really cool just to tie together is, man, what if that's a blood covenant being made there between me and my spouse? Blood being shed for this promise that we made with one another. This consummation is sealed with blood. So I think that's a beautiful way to think about just as a bride, how we can wait for Christ to return. Um, now I think of as a mother, and I just think this is cool. We're walking through, how can we wait as a church? How can we wait as a bride? And I think, how can we wait as a mother? And this, seriously, this is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear. If you hear nothing else, mamas, when you hold your baby for the very first time, you get to hold your darling and say, baby, this was my body, which has been broken for you. This was my blood, which has been shed for you. Now, my child, come and eat of me. Mm-hmm. And I just think, wow, that statement just washes over me. What a beautiful proclamation to get to say. And no one gets to say that. Mm-hmm. No one gets to say that other than Christ and a mama the moment she holds her baby. Mm-hmm. This is my body broken for you. This is my bloodshed for you all of those years. Now, my child, come and eat of me. This is how we wait as a mother and as a menstruator. So if I didn't describe you as a woman in the church, as a bride, (laughs) as a mother, I sure know that I will describe you as a menstruator. Mm -hmm. All women, we as menstruators, we can wait and hope for Christ to come back by allowing our blood to shed. Mm to allow our bodies to have this cycle. We don't have to control this cycle. We don't have to take the reins over and decide to live in a linear in a linear hormonal way. We can actually experience this cycle in such a beautiful way and allow our blood to shed, allow our cycles to exist inside of us and communicate something about who God is to us. So this is what I mean when I walk us through what, how can we think about the story of creation, fall, redemption, and future restoration? Yeah, that is so beautiful. You know, as you were speaking, I was just thinking of how yeah, nowhere else on this side of heaven do we see quite explicitly played out even just the Paschal mystery of Christ mm-hmm. and then his resurrection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because when we're suffering here on earth, we know that God can bring life from it, can bring newness from it. Yeah. Um, we know this, but we don't always see that so explicitly. Yeah. But we see it just within a woman's reproductive cycle that yeah. explicitly played out when that egg that dead egg is washed out of her body. Yeah. That yeah. blood is shed. Mm. And then if she becomes pregnant right after, we see just explicitly mm. the death and then resurrection played out within a woman's body. Like mm. new life is created. Yeah. And yeah. like you were saying, like a man cannot say Mm-mm. that. Like there's nowhere else on this side of heaven that we see that played out. Yes. And that is yes. so beautiful that we can see our cycles as actually this gift in our bodies, you know, in our culture right now. Being able to become pregnant is seen as a curse to a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Really, it's just the most beautiful thing that we as women can do. And I don't, I say that, you know, some women cannot have 
children. That's why it's so beautiful that we're spiritually can be mothers as well. Mm -hmm. That's exactly Um, right. But just the, just the idea that pregnancy is a curse or that Mm -hmm. our periods or our bodies are a curse is just so not true in the way that it's connected to Christ and his own um, death and resurrection is so beautiful. Right. It just brings about rejoicing, right. And just giving thanks for like, oh my gosh, Lord, wow. What a beautiful process. I, I totally want to engage in this process now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for Karina, just for walking us through that. You know, I just think, I know, you know, even though I heard this your senior year, I just, this reminder is so timely for me and yeah. Yeah, even just as you were walking through what that redemptive and restorative Mm -hmm. story looks like in our bodies, Mm -hmm. every cycle, it just almost brings tears to my eyes, you know, and I just, I think of all the women out there who have been hating their bodies or been embarrassed or shameful toward their body. And I hope, I just hope this brings them hope and encouragement that there is beauty Mm -hmm. in that brokenness that God has taken what was, what was a curse, what was mm-hmm. a fall, and he has restored that and redeemed it. So yes. thank you so much for coming oh. on with this message. My gosh, thank you so much for having me. And thanks be to God for just allowing us to be able to study these things and talk yes. about them with hope and promise of restoration. Mm-hmm.